Well, today we are beginning a brand new series called Blessed. And who's blessed? We're blessed, right? Yeah, look at this place. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this great? Okay, don't be so enthusiastic about it. (laughs) You know, it's uh, amazing, you know, that uh, we spent the last five years in a movie theater and you got to come in and set up every morning and tear down after we're done. It was like quarter after seven this morning. I sent out a thing on Facebook. I was like, all right, I'm done setting up. Now what do I do for the next two and a half hours? <laughs> We're just so used to taking that whole time uh, to do that. And of course, the, the theater itself was very, very expensive as far as rent. And so we are just so blessed as a church family to be able to call this our new home. And, you know, we, we still got some bugs we got to work out. Obviously, we're still under construction in most of the uh, building. And there's some bugs in here, technical bugs that we need to work out. But, man, let's just give God praise and glory and honor. For allowing us to have this space. Now, what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is talk to you about how, again, we are truly blessed. And I want to talk a lot about how the, the church has been blessed, although we'll talk a little bit about that, because I want to talk about some unique ways in which God has blessed you. You want to be blessed? How many of you want to be blessed this morning? You want, you want to be blessed in your life this morning? Yeah, we all want to be blessed, right? Now, the question becomes then, what does it mean to be blessed? What exactly does that mean? In fact, here's what I want you to do. Go and turn to the person sitting next to you and just give them what is your definition of being blessed by God. Go real quick. Just go ahead and turn to somebody. Give them your definition there. What's it mean to be blessed by God? All right, now I got a feeling that as you we're talking about that a little bit, you probably said something to the effect of, you know, when I have everything that I need, you know, my, my family, I've got my health, I've got, you know, finances the way I need it to, that, that's probably in general what you talked about. You know, so for example, if somebody says, well, that person is financially blessed, what they typically mean by that is, you know what, they don't need anything. They're self-sufficient. They're sort of self-reliant. George Barna, who does a lot of studies and, and surveys of people, he actually found this, that 94% of Americans said that I am self-sufficient. In other words, I don't really need other people. I'm self-sufficient. I'm, I'm self-reliant. 94% of people basically are saying, you know what? I need my spouse. I need my kids. But really, it could be just us four and no more, and we'd be okay. We'd be just Fine, we don't really need anybody else. Oh, sure, it's, it's great that we have other family, and it's great that we have other friends, but I don't really need them in my life. You're going, wow, 94%? I, I'm not sure that sounds right, but think about just our lives in general. Think about the pace that we go through and all the hurry, and, and we're constantly busy with our calendars, aren't we? We're always doing something. And even when we're with somebody else, what do we do? We're with people and we're on our phone, we're checking. It's like, you know what, I, I could care less. We could not care less right now that you're here, right? You're on your phone. Speaking of phone, I wanted to do this real quick. Uh, hold on. It's our first day, right? Oh, I got to, oops, I got to put it on selfie mode. See, that's how often I do selfies. I wasn't even sure how to do it. Ready? All right, so can everybody wave here to us? All right, very good. <laughs> right, we're always on our phones. We're always like, hey, look at me. 
It's like, who are you? Now, we're, we're, we're doing things like that, or you're at the gym and you put your earbuds in, right? It's like, I want to work out. I'm doing my thing. I don't need anybody else around me. You drive home at night, you hit the garage door opener, the garage door goes up, you pull your car in, the garage door goes back down. What you're basically saying to your neighbors is, I don't need you, I don't want to know you, I have no interest in you. We've really gotten to this place where we think that the goal of life is to be independent. Here's what I want to say to you today, and it's our big thought for the day. It's there on your outline if you're taking notes. God has not called me to be independent Rather, he's called me to be interdependent. I want to be independent. I want to do my own thing. No, 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 no. That's not what God's calling you to. He's calling you to interdependence where you need each other. God has designed us. In fact, we may even say that God has blessed us with a need for not only God, but then one another as well. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to this church that he had started there in the city of Ephesus. And he's really talking to this church about the the need for each other and the the need for relationships. And here's what he says, Ephesians 2.19. You are members of God's family. So he's, he's talking to this church plant that he had. You are members of God's family, but he could just as easily be talking to us that you are members of God's family. Now, what's it mean to be a part of God's family? Well, simply this. How can you be a part of God's family? You have to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins because you've come to the place in your life where you realize, you know what? I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to save myself. I I can never be good enough. I can never be smart enough. I can never give enough. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And so you ask for that forgiveness, but you're not just sorry that you got caught by God, you know, oh, you know, you got caught sinning. No, you're so sorrowful about your sin that you say, you know what, I don't want to do it anymore. So God, help me to change. Send your spirit to to live in me and be the leader of my life. Guide me and direct me and and help me to, to live for you and for your word. The Bible would call that repentance, that you were going one way, but now you're going another way. You're going God's way. And so when you ask for his forgiveness, when you ask for his leadership, one of the ways the Bible describes that is that you're now saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sin. Saved from hell. You're forgiven. You're clean. You're set free. But then there's another way the Bible describes that, and that is that you're born again. That you have become born again. Again, you see, all of us, we were born into a natural family. You have parents, a physical family, but now you are born again spiritually, and now you're part of God's family. So Paul says here that you, you, the church, you are members of God's family. And then he continues on then, verses 20 and 21. Together, we are what? What does it say? Together, we are his house. Build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully what? We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And this is so important for us to understand as we move over to this new facility, that Paul says here that the church is not a building. The church is who? 
us, the people, together. We are members of God's family. Together, we are His house. Together, we are His holy temple. It's great that we have a new building, but this is not the church. This building could burn down today, and we will still be the church. We were a church in a movie theater. We're a church in a permanent facility. You don't need a building to be a church. Together, the people, we are the church. Together, we are God's house. And so God created us not to be independent, but rather to be dependent, interdependent on each other. That we need God. We need that relationship with Him. But just as importantly, we need a relationship with one another. So, keep in mind, a church is not a building. Can we say that together? A church is not a building. Do it again. A church is not a building. This is great, but a church is not a building. What is a church? Again, the church is people. The actual Greek word, ekklesia, it isn't even a religious term. It's not a spiritual term at all. You know what it means? It means a group of people that have gathered together for a common purpose. That could be anything. Softball teams or ecclesias, a group of people that have gathered together for a common purpose. Secular rock bands, they're ecclesias. A group of people that have gathered together for a common purpose. And so that word ecclesia that got translated as the word church, originally in its original intention was a group of people gathered together in Jesus' name for a common purpose. What is our purpose? That together we can do better in serving God and loving God and growing in our own personal relationship with God and going out and changing Harrisburg and going out and changing the world. That's what a church is. A church is not a building. I'm thankful we have a building think we're going to be able to do a lot of cool things in the building, but realize this building is not going to change lives. People aren't just going to walk in here and go, whoa, whoa, my life just changed. <laughs> like it's a magic building or something. No, what's going to change people's lives is when they walk in and they see the love of you and I that we have for one another. And they're like, whatever these people have, I want it. Because they apparently have a love for God and a love for each other. I need that in my life. That's what's going to change people's lives. Not a building. This building is just simply a tool. It's just a tool. So we can't be independent. We can't be self-sufficient. We can't be self-reliant. We need to share our lives with each other. And if you're not willing to do that, you're going to find it very, very hard to be a follower of Jesus. If your whole goal is, I want to be independent, it's going to be really, really tough to be his follower. There's a guy that comes up to Jesus one day, and he says, Jesus, out of the 613 commands of what we would call the Old Testament of the Bible, he says, which one's the most important? I mean, can you sort of give me the, the Cliff Notes version of this book? I mean, come on, Jesus, what, what's the most important command? And Jesus looks at him, and he says this in Matthew 22, uh, verse 37. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. In other words, you need to be relationally connected to God. You need Him. 
You need to to love Him, have a, a desire for Him. Jesus in verse 38 says this, meaning love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. He says a second is what? A second is equally important. So there's something that is equally as important as loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says it's this, love others just as much as you love yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You know, as a church, we've been blessed with this need to love God, but also, just as importantly, a love for one another. Together, again, we are the church. We are a church in a movie theater. We're a church in this building. We could go outside into the park up the road, have church there, because people are the church. You know, one of the major drawbacks we had over at the theater, especially when we were much larger in attendance, when we were running like 150 to 200 people, was that it was just so hard to get people connected together. Because, you know, I'd say amen, and it's like, okay, now get out, because the movie's about to start. <laughs> and again, when, it, when we had larger crowds, it was just so hard trying to get people in. And so we had this really big front door. We had a lot of guests coming in and everything, but we had just as big of a back door. Because it was, it was just so hard to get you guys connected. Now, now that we're a little bit smaller when we were over there, you guys sort of hung around a little bit more, but you just couldn't do that when we had mass amounts of, of people. And so we've got to get back now as a, a church body, as members of God's family, to say, you know what, we've got to make sure that we're connected with one another. And so when we designed the, the renovation for this building, we did it very specifically with that in mind. And so in just another week or two, as you go out in that cafe, when you first came in today, that is nothing what it's going to look like out there, okay? There's going to be a new welcome center that's there. There'll be the cafe tables. Everything's going to be out there. But it's really designed as a place that you can come in early and you can stay late. Just hang out in the cafe. Just get to know one another. Talk about life and and things that are deeper than just news, weather, and sports and how's the kids and the grandkids. But really getting into each other's lives spiritually and and helping and encouraging one another. You know, our mission statement, helping people take life-changing next steps in their journey towards God. Who is helping people take life-changing next steps? Is it me? Well, yeah, that's part of my job, but guess who else? You, because you are the church. I'm not the church. You are the church. We are helping people take life-changing next steps in their journey towards God. That's your job. That's my job. We, the church, do that. And so that's what that cafe is designed for. How many of you had a chance over to my left, your right, to go back into what we call the living room? Have you been in the living room yet? How many of you have seen that? Make sure you check that out. That place is spectacular. It is awesome. In fact, my office isn't, I mean, we have a do not enter thing on my office right now because it's, it's a disaster zone, right? But I'm like, man, I, I'm just going to hang out in there for, I mean, it's really cool. It is awesome, all right? That is designed for you again, Sunday mornings, come in early, stay late, hang out in the living room there. There's sofas and all, I mean, you got to check it out. I almost want to take a field trip right now and have everybody like to go through there. It is awesome. But here's the deal. We don't want you just to use it on Sundays. We want you to use it all week long. I really envision a place like that, that like, you know, Trev, he has a business here in Harrisburg. I really envision that that would be a place that he could say to some of his staff, you know what, let's do a little off-site retreat. Let's go hang out in the living room. 
or business people in the community, you know, that they could say, you know what, instead of hanging out at Starbucks, I'm going over to Exponential Church and I'm going to hang out in there because we don't have it this week, but we will have Wi-Fi in here. Right now we're tapping off the neighbors. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. They pay us rent for the parking lot, right, and stuff. So I've just been thinking, you know what, instead of having them pay rent for the parking lot, we could just say, hey, could you upgrade your plan? <laughs> we'll just keep tapping off of that. But no, Verizon should be coming in this week and uh, getting that all taken care of. But I envision that as a place of people in the cafe and people out there just hanging out during the week and getting to know each other and seeing Exponential as a place that, you know what, I maybe don't believe in Jesus yet, and I don't believe in all the spiritual stuff yet, but man, that's a very welcoming place. I can just go in and just sort of hang out. And we want you to do that. We want you to see this as a place that you can do things, especially as you're trying to get life groups started. You know, that was another thing that we had with the, the theater is trying to get people connected. We said, well, we can't get you connected here, so we got to get you connected in people's homes. But it was just so hard because if you don't really have a connection with people on Sunday morning, now to say, now go to a stranger's house, we just had a real tough time getting groups started. So we're still going to encourage you to eventually get them into your house, but at least to start with, have your life group over here in the living room. It feels like a living room. If you, you need to go see that place. It's awesome. <laughs> Bree, stand up. Bree, stand up. Show them who you are. This has been our main designer. She has done an incredible job. Thank you so much. And we, we will honor you more as this thing continues. But um, she has put in so much hard work. And it, that's like one of the few rooms, I think, that's like, other than I think like curtains yet, but other than that, it's like that's about the most complete room at this point, all right? Uh, and it is, what that room is is what everything in this building is going to be eventually, all right? So it, it's going to be awesome, but uh, just hang out in there with your life groups. Now, I know some of you are going, okay, you're talking about these life groups. What exactly is a life group? Well, a life group is a group of four to six, up to 12 people that have intentionally decided that we're going to do life together that we're actually better together than we are separate. And we're going to laugh together, we're going to cry together, we're going to study God's Word together, we're going to eat together, we're going to do all kinds of things together. Because we can serve God and love God and grow to know Him more together. Literally, life groups become like a, almost a second family to you. And so that's really what I want to talk to you about in the remainder of our time here today is just what it means to be connected with other members of God's family. Because again, it's great that we gather together and we're all members, but we need to have like little groups within that. You know, the church is sometimes not just called a family. Sometimes it's called a body. Well, as you break down a body into parts, we come down to the, the cell, the cellular level. And so sometimes life groups are called small groups or cell groups. And what it means is it's just a smaller part of the larger body. And really, if you're going to get the most out of life and you're going to get the most out of your relationship with Jesus, you need to have a life group, people that you're doing life deeply together with. So I want to give you two marks that you'll know that when you have these two things in your life that, okay, I'm doing life deeply with others. And I've hopefully come up with a creative way to describe this so you'll remember it. So here's the first one. I must have people in my life who have refrigerator rights. Must have people in my life who have refrigerator rights. Now, let me explain this to you. Imagine for a second that you have somebody over to the house, and it's a stranger. What is the room that you typically like have, sit and you, you talk to people? What, what is that called in, in your house that you sit and talk to people that you don't know? What, what is it? 
What is it? I'm hearing all kinds of things. For those of you that are saying the bedroom, I mean, just... <laughs> you need to come forward. We're going to pray for you right now, okay? I mean, that's... All right. No, it's not the bedroom. For most people, it's the living room. And, and you bring people in and, and you sit there and you talk to them, right? Now, I want you to imagine that it's basically a complete stranger. They're there at the house and you're sitting there and you're, you're talking to them. And all of a sudden, that complete stranger gets up out of the seat, walks out into your kitchen, opens up your fridge, starts pulling out the bread and the mayo and the squeezy relish and the meats and the cheeses and stuff, and they start making themselves a sandwich. You'd be going, wow, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't do, you have no right to be in my fridge. That's my bread, that's my squeezy, put my squeezy relish away. <laughs> right, you'd be sort of offended. They, they have no right to do that. Now, today, if my parents came over to our house, they could get up at any time they want, walk out the fridge and open it up and do whatever they wanted to do. Why? Because they're family. They've earned that right to do that. And what I'm trying to say to you today is you need fellow followers of Jesus who are so much like family that they've earned the right that when they're at your house to just pop up out of the chair and go out and get in the fridge and get whatever they want. They've earned refrigerator rights. Basically, the attitude is this. You need some people in your life that you say, you know what? What I have is not mine. It's ours. Now, I'm not saying you do this with everybody in the church. But you need four, six, maybe up to 12 people that you're doing life deeply together with. They've earned these refrigerator rights. The very first church started in Jerusalem. And this group of people, they were so convinced that Jesus really did rise from the dead and that he really does have the power to change lives that they said, you know what? Nothing else really in life matters. And so they just started doing life together and getting this message of Jesus out to as many people as possible. In Acts chapter 2, we read some of this in verses 44 to 47. Let me read that part of it. It says, All the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other, selling their possessions and dividing with those in need. And they worshiped together regularly at the temple each day, met in small groups and homes for communion, and shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness, praising God. Now, what I'm talking about here today isn't that, oh, yeah, I've got a couple close friends at work or... You know, I've met some people at the gym that I'm close with, or, you know, we know some of the families, my kids' soccer team. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking today about people from your church or people that you have grown through the years spiritually close to. They're members of God's family, and now you're doing life deeply together with them. They've earned refrigerator rights. You know, I got to tell you, I'm so blessed that through the years, my group, we've been together 16 years now. It's Lisa and myself and two other couples. And even as distance has sort of separated us, we still do life together. 
And it's just been amazing with them just to laugh with them and cry with them. And we vacation together. We obviously, we have, you know, refrigerator rights. Uh, we love their kids. Uh, you know, we, we've done all kinds of, all kinds of things. Many of you know the, the Kroll family, that when Lisa and I got called to move here to Harrisburg, they moved along. They sold a house, they gave up jobs, they gave up school to move along. Do you have anybody in your life that you're so close to that they would move along with you when your job changed? When we were all geographically close together and all attending the, the same church, we would eat together at least once per week, sometimes two, three times a week that we would get together. We did life together. And again, distance has separated us somewhat now, and you know, now we're in three different church facilities, church buildings, but yet we still do life together. You know, we're so thankful Gail got called to go be on staff at another church as a, as a worship pastor, and that's awesome. And you think, well, I guess they just don't have anything to do with Exponential anymore, huh? No, guess who's been here the last couple weeks painting and, and getting all this stuff ready? They have. Why? Because we do life deeply together. It doesn't matter that we're not a part of the same, you know, quote-unquote church body anymore. You just do life deeply. And I want to make sure that you have that. Again, I'm not talking that, you know, it's family members. Family members are great, but you need people in your life that you can talk to because sometimes your family members, right? You need to talk about them, right? A little bit. And I'm not talking like in a gossipy way, but, you know, just wisdom and guidance and direction and, and prayer needs and stuff that you need other people. And so the question is, do you have that in your life? Not, not a friend either that, well, I got one friend that he's allowed to get up and go to the fridge and get out a soda or something. I'm talking about a group of people, multiple people who are part of your spiritual family that you're doing life deeply together with. All right, so that's the first one. Got to have some people in your life that have refrigerator rights. Here's the second one. Ready? This is a weird one. I need people who can... Donald Trump me. <laughs> I need some people who can Donald Trump me now. I got to explain that one, right? <laughs> as the primaries continue on and Trump just keeps winning, right? Um, as the exit polling is coming out, one of the things that they're finding is people are saying, the reason I like him, I'm supporting him, is he just tells it like it is. Now, it's debatable whether what he's telling it like it is is, you know, a good thing or not, and is, if he's doing it in a loving way and an accepting way. But what they like about him is just that he doesn't have any filters. He just talks to people and says, here's what I really think about you. Again, <laughs> whether he's doing that in the right way or not, that, that's highly debatable. But you need somebody in your life and a group of people in your life that have the right to Donald Trump you to just tell you how it really is, to speak 100% truth to you. 
See, here's what we found in life. Most of the time when people speak the truth, they only give you like 90% of it. Like they're telling the truth, but they leave out that last 10%, which is really the most important 10%. Because that's where real life change is going to happen, is when they give you that last 10%. So you need some people in your life that you can say to them, hey, do I have your permission to give you the last 10%? And they have your permission that they can give you the last 10%. Just speak the truth. You need that. Now, Jesus is very clear. When you speak the truth, you always need to do it in love. And that's part of Trump's problem. He's just, some of the things he's saying is the truth, perhaps, and some of it isn't, but, but some of it is, but he just says it in a way that's very offensive. And so that, that's a, just an important lesson we can learn in life in general, that it's possible to be right, but yet be wrong at the same time. Because you can say the right thing, but say it in a wrong way. And I've known so many people through the years that that's how they are. They may be saying the exact right thing that they need to say, but the way they say it, it just turns people off. The walls go up. And see, we have that happen in our lives, don't we? As soon as somebody starts to speak the truth to us, we put up a wall. We get very defensive. See, because we walk around with masks on, don't we? You may not think that you do, but you're wearing a mask. You do it at work. You do it at home. You walk in the church with a mask on. Because you want to portray to other people what you think that they think you should be, not who you actually are. You're trying to live up to their expectations, so you put on a mask. Now, Jesus had a word for that, because that word for mask is hypocrites. Guess what English word we get from that? Hypocrite. And so oftentimes we walk through life as Basically hypocrites, because we're wearing masks. We don't want people to see the true us. But you need to have some people in your life that you've said, you know what, I'm taking the mask off, and I'm showing you who I really am. And you know that they'll love and accept you even with your flaws, even through your sinfulness. Now, they're not going to let you in your sinfulness. They love you enough to say, you know what, Jesus has a better standard for you than this. And they help you to take life-changing next steps in your journey towards God. But you've given them permission to do that. So who do you have in your life that can Donald Trump you? That can speak hard truth to you? And you're going to accept it and not just immediately reject it. See, that's the other problem that we have. Not only do we walk around with the mask, but we think if I take the mask off and I show some people, they're going to reject me. They're not going to accept me any longer. There's actually a great story in Scripture that helps to illustrate uh, what we're talking about here today. First of all, let me share with you Romans 15.7. Paul's writing and he says this, Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given the glory. Now there's this the story in the Old Testament about this kid, his name, let me wet my lips here, his name is Mephibosheth, okay? <laughs> Mephibosheth. As a young child, he was accidentally dropped, and he broke both of his legs. And, of course, they didn't have the medical type of knowledge that we have in this day and time, and so his legs were never set properly, so when they healed it just, he couldn't walk. He was a cripple. 
Now, in that day and time, if you were blind, lame, uh, if you had any type of disease, it was assumed that, you know what? You sinned against God or your parents sinned against God, and that's why you're in this condition that you're in. So Mephibosheth, he could have been seen as this outcast, as this reject. He, he probably would have had to have been a beggar had it not been for who his family was and who his family was in a life group with. You see, his dad was a guy by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan's the same guy that a couple weeks ago in our Perhaps series that he and the armor bearer went out and did all that stuff. That same Jonathan, he, that's, this is his son, Mephibosheth, the end. <laughs> Hey, you try it. <laughs> Jonathan is in a life group with, guess who? King David. King David. They do life deeply together. They are BFFs, right? <laughs> and when Jonathan dies, again, it had been so easy just for Mephibosheth to be seen as a reject, as an outcast. But look at what Scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 13. Mephibosheth was lame, but he lived in Jerusalem and ate at David's table, just like one of David's own sons. That's what you need in the life group. is people that will love you and not reject you, crippled feet and all. crippled feet and all. And I love that my group, that's what they do for me. They love me. I'm not Pastor Gilbert to them. I'm just plain old Gilbert. Frail, sinful, fragile Gilbert. Just a, a fellow journeyer through life. And they help me to take my own life-changing next steps in my journey towards God. Because I haven't arrived. Nobody will arrive this side of heaven. We all have next steps we need to take. And it's so easy for, you know, people to put pastors up on pedestals and stuff and that pastors sort of get this, this air of invinci invincibility that they think, well, nothing can touch me. But that's not the truth. We struggle just as much as you do. And I'm so thankful that I have a group that loves me and prays for me. And when I do something they don't like, they tell me about it. They call me on it. And they're like, no, 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 no. Again, you got to earn that right, right? You come to me and say some things, I'm probably going to put the walls up. But they've earned the right to speak the hard truths to me. You need that in your life. People that can, again, Donald Trump you. Now, I know some of you are going, you know what, Gilbert, I, I tried a life group once, but I didn't have anything like what you've been describing here today. And my answer would be very spiritual. No, duh. <laughs> Of course you didn't. You can't go into a place one time for one hour and expect that you're going to all of a sudden go, let's vacation together. Let's tell each other our deepest, darkest, dirtiest sins and help one another to grow. No, it's not going to happen one time. It happens over time as you learn to trust one another. Here's the other thing. Yeah, maybe you tried it once and you didn't like it. That doesn't mean that you give up on it. How many of you ever gone to a restaurant that you didn't like? You ever been to a restaurant that you didn't like? You didn't say, well, I'm never going to restaurants again. No, what did you say? I'm not going to that restaurant again. But you didn't give up on restaurants. It's the same way with life groups. You just you keep doing it and you keep doing it and eventually you'll find one 
that you like and you're a part of. See, to grow close, that's going to take some time. It takes time. Real quickly, I'm going to wrap up with three more things that it takes. Three things that you're going to need to make as a commitment to one another in order to, to make a life group work. The first one is the word I just said, commitment. You need to commit to your group. Now, even before you commit to your group, here's what you need to commit to. You need to commit to starting to show up early to church and staying late after church is done, hanging out in the cafe, hanging out over in the living room. Just get to know people. And as you're starting to get to know people, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start to feel more comfortable with them. And you're going to say, hey, why don't you and your family, why don't you come over to the house for dinner? See, that's a big part of big part of life group. It's just what the Bible would call breaking bread together, sharing meals with one another. See, people have this idea that, well, life groups are just Bible studies. No, 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 no. Studying the Bible can be a part of it, and it should be a part of it. But it's so much more than that. It's a group of people who are intentionally doing life together. And so you've got to eat every day. So as often as possible, get together with your group. Break bread, share a meal, talk about life, encourage one another from Scripture. And so again, commit, 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 commit to staying and getting to know people. Commit to then inviting somebody over to the house or taking somebody up on their invitation and go over to their house and see if you don't hit it off. And maybe there's a connection there that you can start to do life deeply together. You're going, but... Gilbert, what if, like, there's somebody weird in the group? And what, what do I do then? Well, guess what? What are we? We are a spiritual family. Every family has weirdos in it. Right? Your physical family has some weirdos in it. Well, guess what? Your spiritual family is going to have some weirdos in it as well. In life groups, we call them EGRs. E-G-R. Extra grace required people. All right? You just got to give a little extra grace. By the way, if you're in your life group and you look around and you go, man, this is great. There's no EGRs. Guess what? You're it. <laughs> so just commit, commit, commit to keep trying it until you have deep relationships with other people. What I guess I'm trying to say is if you're looking for the perfect life group, you'll never, ever find it. Just keep on doing life together. Keep on committing to each other. Number two then, this is what's going to help our groups is challenges. Could be the death of someone. It could be somebody loses a job. Maybe it's somebody's marriage that's struggling. Eventually, somebody's going to have something happen in their life that's deeply disturbing. And that's when the group gathers around that person or around that couple. And you love them and you pray for them and you support them and you encourage them from Scripture. There is nothing that will grow a group closer together than weathering the storms of life. And man, it's just, when that's happening, that's when you realize, I need, I need this. I've been blessed with a need, a need for people that I do life deeply together with. Number three then, 
You need commitment, you need challenges, then you need Christ. See, it's Jesus who's going to hold your group together. It's Him that will help you to realize that we're better together. You know, I've heard and even said through the years that you know you need a personal relationship with Jesus, and that's true. Everybody needs a personal relationship with Jesus. But here's what I've discovered through the years and the more I read this book, that you also need a shared relationship with Jesus. You need a shared relationship with others. Scripture says this, that wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in our midst. Scripture says that two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend is there to help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Scripture says that if one person can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. See, we are truly better together. Yes, you need a personal relationship with Jesus, but you also need a shared one as well. And so here's what I want you to do. Hang out in this new place. Make commitments to getting to know other people. Make a commitment to doing some dinner with some people. Make a commitment to getting your own life group started. Again, if you need to start it here, that's fine. Eventually, we'll get it into your home. Also, as much as possible, just in life in general, don't do life alone. If it's possible, don't drive alone. Don't eat alone. Don't pray alone. Don't study God's Word alone. Don't cry alone. Again, there's sometimes you have to do those things alone, but as much as possible, do life with other people. Why? Because Jesus said, life is all about love God and love people. And we can't do that if our whole attitude is, my goal is, I want to be independent. God hasn't called you to be independent. He's called you to be interdependent. So don't just come here to this building and then go home. Be the church. Be a group of people that love each other, are committed to each other, that we're a spiritual family. and We welcome other people in, and they see the love that we have, and they say, I want that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to gather together today in this new place. Father, we are so blessed by you and who you are and all you've done for us. And we thank you for the five and a half years that we had over the movie theater. But Lord, help us to use this new place as a, a tool that we can reach more and more people for your namesake. Lord, thank you that whether we've been 30 people or 200, I think 20 some people, that Exponential has always been a place that we try the best we can to to love each other and be a spiritual family. But Lord, today we're asking that your spirit would take that to the next level, that we would have a supernatural love for each other, a supernatural love for our community and for the people of the world, and that we would realize that together we are better. And Lord, that you would use us, you would use us as a body to make a difference. So, Lord, I, I pray for each and every person that's here today. That, Lord, you would just give them a, a brand new heartfelt commitment and a desire that I've been blessed with a need for God and I've been blessed with a need for deep relationships with others. And that we would make that commitment to get in a life group and do life together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that 
you're going to change us from the inside out and make us who it is that you've called us to be so that we can make a bigger difference for you. I pray these things in Jesus' name.